This is a Squeeze podcast. We're your shortcut to being informed. This week, our podcast is brought to you by BHP. Reducing greenhouse gas emissions in the production of copper is critical. That's why BHP has committed to solar, wind and battery agreements to help power their copper mine at Olympic Dam in South Australia. It's happening now at BHP. Visit bhp.com critical to find out more. In the space of just a few weeks, a handful of big banks have collapsed around the world. Many others have got the wobbles. That's leaving everyone nervous about what might be next. So in this episode of Squeeze Shortcuts, as promised, we take a look at why these banks fell over, if any Aussie banks have problems, and why there's a lot of talk about this sparking a global recession. Squeeze Shortcuts is the backstory to the big news stories. I'm Kate Watson. And I'm Claire Kimball. Claire, we've been promising this shortcut for a while now. Here we go. (laughs) Banking 101. It's fair to say there's been a bit of grim financial news around the world of late. This first banking collapse in the US back on the 10th of March really did catch pretty much everyone by surprise. Of course, I'm talking about Silicon Valley Bank. Yeah, and I reckon a couple of weeks ago, few people outside the tech industry had even heard of Silicon Valley Bank. I haven't. (laughs) Like its name suggests, it's a bank that largely did business with the tech sector in California and its clients included a lot of startup, particularly in the tech sector. Um, Some were really rich titans. Uh, But then on that single day, March the 10th, its customers withdrew a staggering 42 billion US dollars that left it with a negative balance sheet. And the reason for this is that their customers had started to panic. So there was this almighty rush to withdraw money. I do recall, of course, the global financial crisis back in 2008. And there were big law changes that were meant to stop this from happening again. And you can bet the Congress is going to be picking apart how this happened uh, in the weeks and months ahead. But a couple of days before it collapsed, Silicon Valley Bank went to the market to try and raise more capital and that worried a lot of analysts. The concern was that it had an unexpected hole to plug. Uh, And then all of a sudden there was this rush of concern, spreading a lot on Twitter actually, and it just really escalated very quickly. So literally these customers are getting on the bank's website and withdrawing their money. I don't know if you remember the scene from Mary Poppins where there's a run on the bank. That's my experience of it. But it's just like that. that. Imagine that kind of virtually. Some are though turning up to the bank's physical branches Mm. and asking for their money to be withdrawn. It's worth noting, Claire, one of the crazy things about this bank and why there was such a run on it and why it was impossible to stop was a lot of those customers feared they wouldn't get their money back at all if the bank did collapse. Yeah. So since the 2008 global financial crisis, by law, up to 250 thousand US dollars is insured for each US depositor's bank account. Um, that's the same amount in Australia too. Now, for most people, that covers how much you've got in the bank. Uh, so if there's a collapse, you can get your cash back. But in the case of Silicon Valley Bank, pretty much everyone who had money in the bank had a lot more. In some cases, more than $250,000. One company, Roku, that does the sort of set-top boxes Mm. with smart TVs, um, it had nearly $500 million. Uh, And, of course, they didn't want to lose it. That insurance for $250,000 doesn't go a long way. Not going to cover it. Um, Since then, it's been announced that Silicon Valley Bank has been bought by another bank. So that's the situation there. But this news story and what's happening really was the start of a sort of whole banking crisis, I guess. 
Yeah, and panic is really catching, particularly in financial markets. Um, The US market reacted very swiftly and started punishing the banks that it thought might be vulnerable. Uh, So a week after SVB, which we'll call it now, the Silicon Valley Bank, uh, a second US regional bank called Signature Bank uh, was shut down by the government and a third, the First Republic Bank, it was also propped up by the government. And to try and stop the whole thing from spiralling across more banks, the government tried to reassure investors Uh, They said that they would guarantee customers of those banks that they would get all of their deposits back. Even above that 250 mark. Exactly right. So trying to stop that run on the banks. Yeah. They were all regional US banks, still pretty huge by Mm. Australian standards though. So we're regional. When we say regional, we mean a bit smaller. Yeah. And the big, big, big guys. Um, then, though, after that, a significant global bank, Credit Suisse, started to look pretty shaky. It was taken over by UBS, which is Switzerland's largest bank. We've all heard of UBS. Yeah, and hopefully Credit Suisse too because yeah. it's got offices all over the world, including Australia. Uh, in the days after SVB and its collapse, Credit Suisse, its shares dived by 30%. Uh, so the UBS buyout was a real emergency rescue deal and it was only really made possible because the Swiss National Bank, which is a bit like our Reserve Bank, it offered nearly $250 billion in loans and protections to prop it up. Kind of interesting to think who's in those meetings. Oh, taking over these banks. You'd want a, a good selection of muffins, I reckon, oh, to get yeah, through Oh, yeah, they'd be long. Yeah, th- that fruit platter. <laughs> Those grapes would get eaten. So the US Federal Bank and now the Swiss Central Bank are literally propping up the system to the tune of hundreds of billions of dollars. The question is, I guess, is it enough to stop any more collapses? I don't think that anyone is particularly confident that it's the end of it. Just That's certainly reading. what the analysts mm. are saying. Uh, if you're a glass half full kind of person, you'd say that Credit Suisse had particular problems of bad management and risk taking. Uh, investors kind of had priced that in on that day of reckoning. That's why their share price fell so steeply. Um, so you'd say that many of the US regional banks had similar issues growing too fast, for example. Uh, but if you're a glass half empty kind of gal, <laughs> which I think we can be, from time to time, yeah. uh, you'd look at the strain on the financial sector at the moment. It just is that creeping fear of a recession. We're in tricky economic times uh, and say that it's likely that there's more trouble ahead. Of course, we will find out. Germany's largest lender, Deutsche Bank, had a big slide on the share market before it recovered last week. And some other big European banks like Barclays and BNP Paribas also got hit by a case of investor nerves. It's very emotional. Yeah, very jittery all round. And the German Chancellor, Olaf Scholz, uh, he was out trying to calm the markets while this share slide was going on. He told reporters that Deutsche is profitable and reputable. Um, Clearly no country wants to be the next that catches this disease of fear. Let's have a look now and it's probably got people thinking, what about here? What about Australia? (laughs) Let's take a look at that now and give people a sense of whether we've got any reason to be worried about the state of our banks here. In some ways, Australia feels a long way from the mess. We can often feel a bit, you know, on our own down here. That could be quite a good thing in some cases. Um, But it's also reasonable to ask the question, are we next? What are the experts saying about how safe Aussie banks are compared to the rest of the world? It's important to note that even during the financial crisis back in 2008, no Aussie bank went bust. Mm -hmm. Um, So even with all that turmoil that was going on around the world at significant levels, we kept our head above water. And look, there's a number of reasons why that's the case. The Reserve Bank of Australia says that we've got much tougher regulations for banks than 
those in place in the United States. So less exposure to risky loans, for example. And the government intervened really quickly to guarantee deposits up to that $250,000 mark. So we avoided that mass panic and withdrawals. Yeah, that was then. Everyone is saying the conditions right now are very different to the GFC, the global financial crisis. Of course, that was triggered by a lot of dodgy banking Mm. products. The collapse of the US housing market as well, but now the whole world is battling inflation. We've all been talking about that a lot to ad nauseum, I would say. Mm -hmm. There's just stress on economies and financial systems everywhere, including here, are under that stress. Yeah, exactly. And Shane Elliott, who's the CEO of ANZ, he said that we're not out of the woods. And this is the quote, history says it'll take many, many months, if not a year, for these things to roll through the economy. But at the same time, he's also trying to talk up Australia's banking sector, saying that we've got more stringent controls and processes than anywhere else in the world. Which is not untrue. What is it exactly about Australia that's different from other markets? We talked about the deposit guarantee being that $250,000. The US has that too, though, Claire. Yeah, it does. Although the US banks guarantee deposits up to that $250,000 threshold. Um, It's through an insurance scheme that the banks actually contribute to. It's not a government-backed guarantee broadly like what Australia has. Um, So I guess in the American system, there's more fear in the system that the insurance scheme actually might not cover all those customers if there was a run on the bank. Uh, And more generally, the Australian Banking Regulator, which is the Australian Prudential Regulation Authority, APRA, um, it's got a much tougher approach to risk than other global banks. So that means that the way it oversees banks and their balance sheets, it's likely that the banks that went down that sort of road in the United States would have been pulled up much earlier because of APRA's watch. Yeah, the Reserve Bank really talks up the power of APRA as one of the great strengths of our banking system compared to other countries. We do hear about APRA quite a bit in the Mm. news. It can actually give what they call binding directions to any financial institution if it's worried about any behaviour that could, and this is the wording they use, threaten its ability to meet financial obligations to depositors. Yeah, so it's got teeth. And over time, when a few institutions have failed in Australia, uh, there were a few in the 80s and 90s, for example, like the Bank of Melbourne and the R&I Bank of Western Australia, um, those were all resolved without loss to depositors. Depositors being us? Customers. Yeah, yeah, that's good to know. It's very good to know. Good to stop all of Australia totally panicking about what's happening. Don't panic. No, don't panic and don't stash your money under a mattress or in a cookie jar. Um, <laughs> as a whole, we're a nation of depositors. What APRA says is that last year, Aussies had at least $1.28 trillion in the bank. So for every man woman and child, that's $50,000 each. I was going to say, I don't have $1.28 trillion in the <laughs> bank, but yeah, that 50K sounds about right. That's quite something considering uh, a lot of youngsters wouldn't have any money in there. No. And remember that money uh, is one of the pillars of our healthy economy. It's only that money that allows the banks to lend to people uh, who want to buy houses, for example, or small businesses that want to expand or big businesses that want to get bigger. So no one wants a run on the bank because because if there are those runs on the banks, it makes it much more difficult for the banks to lend money. uh, And it also just undermines confidence in the economy. So that's the fear now that the world starts to go backwards. Yeah, because those economies aren't chugging along as well as it could, which all leads us to this R word recession. Let's have a chat now about the talk around a possible global recession. 
Before we get into what might be in the news next week, a message from our podcast advertiser, BHP. This week, they're keen to share with Squizzers how the resources they mine are key to the energy transition to renewable energy. Yeah, we often hear about the push towards renewable energy, but what doesn't get as much attention is the role resources play in making that transition possible. Take steel, for instance. It's a key material used in the construction of renewable energy infrastructure, as well as in bridges, transportation, hospitals and schools. And a big part of it comes from iron ore. BHP says the importance of responsibly produced Australian iron ore is clear. And by that, they mean reducing the greenhouse gas emissions associated with iron ore production. It's why BHP has committed to a solar and battery agreement to help power their port facilities at Port Hedland. It's happening now at BHP. And if you want to learn more, visit bhp.com forward slash critical. You'll find that link in your episode notes. Claire, even before this banking crisis, there's been quite a bit of speculation about whether the world is headed for another recession. And when you add on top this whole drama with banks, is it a tipping point? Could it be a tipping point? Yeah, that's the question, I guess. And you're not the only one wondering that. Um, So you already think about the conditions now. Countries everywhere are grappling with rising inflation. Um, There's already a climate of rising interest rates with central banks trying to take the heat out of the economy and bring that inflation under control. And then this banking crisis hits and that's like another unintentional pile on, Mm. I guess. So it could have the same effect or possibly even more than another interest rate rise. Yeah, that's right. Because Psychologically, it's actually quite significant. It spooks banks and consumers and businesses. The US Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen um, says that the banks in the United States will be more frightened to lend and when they do it, it'll cost consumers more to borrow. Yeah, one chief economist at investment manager Apollo estimated the crisis is actually like a 1.5% rate rise because it grabs everyone's attention and it changes our behaviour. And look, we all love a bit of economic lingo. Um, Yellen told a US Senate committee last week that these bank collapses uh, could be a significant downside economic risk. In plain speak, she's saying that it could contribute to a recession. Big investment banker Goldman Sachs is one that says that the odds of a US recession within the next 12 months is sitting at about one in three. That's up from about one in four before the first bank collapse. Yeah, that's actually better odds than I was thinking, I would say. So (laughs) we can still avoid it. (laughs) Yeah, well, the US Federal Reserve is predicting a 0.4 increase in US gross domestic product in 2023. That's economic growth, is GDP growth. Um, So that's just avoiding a recession if it hits that target. Australia is taking a slightly better route to this. Uh, Growth here is forecast to slow to 1.5% this year. So there's a lot of ifs, there's a lot of buts and maybes still to play out in all of this. Yeah, and we don't want to get into all of that because it is just who knows what's going to happen. But what I'm learning through this shortcut is like, we're really emotional. Like the psychology of finance is really the thing, isn't it? Going back to ANZ chief Shane Elliott, he thinks in Australia, we aren't out of the recession woods yet. Yeah. And he's probably wise to be saying that three weeks ago, there were no bank collapses. Uh, It starts with that one in Silicon Valley. And then the next thing you know, Switzerland's second largest bank is on the block. And you've got to go by the German chancellor as well, who's trying to restore market confidence in Germany's biggest bank. Uh, It's extraordinary. And you'd be pretty brave for thinking that we might be immune from all that. Yeah. And one thing worth mentioning when we're talking about the risk of a global recession is 
China. I don't think we can do anything without talking about China at the moment. In 2008, it actually defied the crisis and helped a lot of countries with spending on infrastructure. But it's not in such great shape now. It's only just ticking back to life after the world's longest COVID lockdown. So it's not like it's going to be propping up other countries to get through this. They don't think. Yeah, and it's a really key point when it comes to the global economy, and it's one that has economists worried. Um, the double-digit growth days of China are probably over, for now at least. Uh, its population declined for the first time in 60 years last year, and the damage to investor confidence during COVID is going to be really difficult to restore. So it's not going to be that big global buffer of growth that it once was, um, particularly now that the world's economy is really starting to flail. I feel like we just dropped a huge amount of information at the end of this shortcut to grapple with, but that is the good summary of where things are at. And it's your shortcut to the banking crisis. On to our recommendations. Each episode of Squeeze Shortcuts, we give some further reading, listening or watching. Reading from me, um, a handy piece from Money Magazine about how safe your money is in an Australian bank. It's a very reassuring read. Yeah, good one. I um, feel confident about my money being in the bank. Yep. So that's okay. Um, Got a really good read from CNN on why everyone failed to predict the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank. Yeah, that's a good one. Thanks for listening to this episode of Squeeze Shortcuts. And of course, we'll be back next week. Kate Watson, co-host of News Club and The Weekly Wrap, jumping in here to say thank you for listening to our podcasts first and foremost. And if you like them, we'd really appreciate it if you could share them. Tell your mates about us. Tell your family. Tell your barista. Tell your hairdresser. Whoever you think might be interested in the news that we cover. You telling people about us is still the number one way we grow. Thanks in advance.